Tea Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Tamika, bringing you stories of triumph and inspiration. Today's guest is an author with his latest book titled Tears of a Gangsta. Please welcome Dakari. Hi, Dakari. Hi, Tamika. How you doing? I'm good, Dakari. Let me first say thank you for doing the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for, for having me. It's an honor to be here. And I want to inform the listeners that you are currently incarcerated in a county prison or a county jail fighting a case, okay? All right. So, yeah, that's accurate. So, the coronavirus. I'm interested to know what your experience is with coronavirus, the way that it's going, where you are. Okay, well, uh, as far as experiences, it's kind of interesting. I was actually in the middle of trial. My trial was scheduled for a month and a half. I was in the middle of trial. And because of the presidential and governmental uh, mandates, we had to stop trial and postpone my trial. Since then, as you mentioned, where I'm in the county jail fighting for my life right now. And it changed the, the program as far as how we come out, how we intermingle with each other, how the staff and deputies intermingle with us, and how we uh, deal with each other on a day-to-day basis. One of the main things is our normal recreation, which, you know, everyone holds in high esteem. Some recreation went from a few hours a day to 30 minutes a day because they have to do controlled environments. So it's interesting. I have different views and opinions on the virus itself. But in answer to your question, it's affecting us um, hands-on daily. And each day it changes to something new. Are there a lot of people getting infected with corona? Believe it or not, in California and itself, yes. In my institution, no. We're one of the only institutions where I think we had two scares. They thought that seven uh, deputies had come into contact with a few inmates. But all in all, I think it's only been, it's been four inmates tested, eight deputies tested, and only one or two, I'm not sure, has been confirmed as actually having it in quarantine. Okay, well, in the grand scheme of things, that's not bad. No, it's not, because close by us, I will say I'm in the Bay Area. I can't say much about it because the trial is active, but you have Santa Rita, and they have a very bad outbreak. It's to the point, don't call me on the numbers. But One minute remaining. Don't call me on the numbers, but I think something like 19 inmates and 20-some staff is caught it. They have a real epidemic on their hands inside of their institution. And a lot of penitentiaries in California have caught this. We come in an epidemic in the prison as well. Okay, Dakari. So let's talk about your childhood, your upbringing, you know, what your life was like. How were your parents? Tell us about that. Okay, well, actually, I'm a poster child, so to say, for urban inner city upbringing. You know, I grew up in a drug-infested household. Pops was a rolling stone. It was lucky to see him every year or so. Mom's in and out of jail doing the best she can. I grew up all my uncles and aunties was either in the game, selling, using drugs, abusing drugs, pistol playing, and all the negative things that you expect to find in these ghetto tales. I'm not one that tried to shine from my upbringing, but I'm not one to glorify it as well. But I also, I'm a person I understand my upbringing. The things that I've gone through, the people that I've come across, has made me who I am today. So I don't run. I wouldn't go back and change hardly anything. Most people say it, but literally I've been through it all, seen it all. From abuse and neglect to emotional pain, starvation, I've been on both sides of the game. Unfortunately, 
you know, we were welfare recipients, so we didn't know day to day what if we would eat that day or what meal it would be if that meal would come. You know, I mean, we had to depend on a guy we knew nothing about. We was too young to understand. Whereas on the same flip side of the same token, when I got the plan with guns, pistol plan, and in the streets, I still relied on God to keep me safe. I made a lot of mistakes. Most I'm not too proud of, but again, all I've learned lessons from. So I embraced every mistake I've ever made. And that's why I'm trying to live some positive thing. My parents, they were drug addicted, abused, neglected, trying to figure it out on their own. And I guess I'm the byproduct of it. That's the case with families, unfortunately. Uh, you know, the drug game, you know, really, really had a negative, horrible impact, not only on the people who were addicted, but the kids, you know. And then you become... Yeah a product of your environment because you have no other options. And it's, you know, it's twofold because that's the same as with us in the game that do these jail time and these prison times. We don't realize the, the effect that it has on our family members and those that love us and those that still fighting with us while we fight. It's sad, but if you research it psychologically, the people that you grew up, most times I should say, most times, I forget the percentage number, but it's a high percentage of times the people that you grew up disliking or not proven enough, you often in times follow their footsteps un unintentionally. And that's the product of the environment uh, aspect. Rather, it may be you're the type of individual, you don't want to hurt people, you hate hurting people. But in order to live and survive, you have to come accustomed to it and you have to in order to get it, you know? We don't see that the person that you hurt and getting what you needed to achieve, how it's going to affect them and domino effect and butterfly effect to the people that they love in their life and for the rest of their life, how that trauma will affect them. It's deep with it, Mika. I'm telling you, it's deep with it. It all depends on who um, of the uh, observer and how open-minded their their mind is. You know, part of the reason why I also wanted to make this interview happen with you and the fact that you're in jail, because I just think that a lot of times people, they look at, oh, he's in prison, he's a bad person. You know, and a lot of it is that a lot of men are a victim of the circumstances in which they were born into that they had nothing to do with. And maybe you, your coping skills are off. Maybe, you know, I, I look at joining a gang and gang banging as ineffective coping. You know, that's what's around you. What else are you okay, going to um, do? You know, let, let me, let me open your eyes possibly in the eyes of many of you or your listeners, right? And, and I'm going to go this from a different a different aspect. Myself, I've been spiritual all my life. Like I said, even when we was on welfare, we didn't know what uh, today we were, tomorrow we'll bring. I called on God. When I was out there playing with pistols, I called on God. Even now, when I caught this case, I called on God. He told me to pick up my pencil and put it to the pen. I mean, my pen to the pad and make it happen. But I'm going to use God as an analogy for those who, who look at the, the negative and the mistakes instead of looking at what's going on. Two-thirds of your New Testament was written by people who were incarcerated, not in jails, but in prisons. You had murderers, you had um, thieves, you had rapists, you had um, attempted murderers, all in the Bible. As far as gangs, right? I'm not promoting them. I don't advocate gangs, I don't. But when you don't have a family and you wasn't raised with a family, as a child, you reach out for for the, the next best thing. And as the boys, we were taught not to cry. Men, we were taught to stand hard. So we can't go on the street talking about, I don't have a mama, I don't have a daddy, can you help me? 
or we got Arctic games. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Jesus told twelve. Jesus chose twelve disciples to follow him, though. That was his game, though. They were just disciples. They were a family. They ate together. They prayed together. They stayed together. When times got rough, right, they depended on one another to get them through it. That's the same as what gangs are. That little boy who didn't have a father, didn't have an uncle to spank him and tell him he shouldn't do this, or he didn't have a mother to love him when he fell and scraped the elbow to tend to, to, to his wounds, he ran to that gang because that gang gave him that commodity. He didn't have money for George, but in the gang, they showed him how to go get that money for the phone positives and, and whatnot. So you can't necessarily judge someone for the mistakes or for the past that they've chosen because we all choose different paths, but it all leads us to the same to the same ending. So, you you know, that's why I don't like people who judge. I know that Bible front and back. I, like I said, I was raised in the church. I know the metaphors. I know the ideology. I know the, the, the straightforwards. But honest, honest, as deep as I can say, right, you can match the Bible with every aspect of your life, from the bullying in school, from the parent that wasn't there and neglected you, to the time that you felt that you weren't good enough. Another example I make, Jesus, they say, died on the, died on the cross for our sins. And he came to earth knowing he was going to die on the cross for our sins. But at the last hour in the Garden of Giuseppe, he went along and prayed and asked God. He said, man, I don't want to die. He said, if you can take this away from me, take it. But if you can't, and this what must happen, then let it be. There's times we're in the hood, we don't want to bust that gun. Or we don't want to make that sale. Or we don't want to commit that robbery. But we feel we have to. So we ask God, let it be. You know, it's, it's, you can correlate the Bible with your whole life, Mika, I'm telling you. But there's one thing. You know, I'm, I'm real big on spirituality and, and real big on human behavior. So I'll talk all day. <laughs> I'll talk all day on that. Yeah. Just keep in mind. Yeah, just for your listeners to know, just sometimes I've learned not to judge people and instead try to understand people. And that's exactly. what helped me in life. Exactly. And and I feel the same way. You know, I, I don't judge people because we all fight in a battle that no one else knows. You might know, you might not know, but for the most part, you never will know the full scope of someone else's battle. So um, I definitely oh. don't judge. You know, that person that you see, you might see them in the in the storm of their life and they don't look right and they're not, you know, they're not acting right. But you still don't judge them because, again, you you just don't know what people are dealing with. You just don't know. And not only do you you don't you not understand what they've gone through or what what's good brought them to that point, but you don't even know who they are. You got to take time to get to know them. Exactly. Look at Job. Job went from the richest man in the state to 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 having sores of pus and homeless dirt and all that on him, where to the point you wouldn't even want to get near him. But this is this one at one time was the richest man in the state, you know. So just imagine walking past this person as a beggar, as a bomb on the ground, down and out. You ain't took the time to understand their story. I remember when the uh, you call it the computer boom blew up in two thousand. I remember how many people lost jobs, and became homeless overnight behind that. When the internet blossomed, you don't understand these people struggle. A lot of these homeless people on the streets you don't understand. These people becoming homeless each and every day that this coronavirus is setting us down because they live paycheck to paycheck. It's expensive in the Bay Area. I'll give you an example of 
a three-bedroom in, in, in Silicon Valley is going for $12,000 a month. That's very expensive. And if you don't have the means to set fire to get you through this, this storm, then you can sink. You can sink, Mika. All right, well, switching gears, you talk about, you know, the struggles of when you were a kid and your family life. What were the experiences that created the life that you are living at this point? The negative experiences has brought me here, right? Listen, the metaphorically, I'm going to say my life has been a boat, a ship. And my experiences have been the ocean that the ship is driving down. All experiences have led me to this point, but the negative experiences are the bigger ways. And they have more of an impact and they push me further. And I can't sit here and honestly tell you that I'm pitied out because of my predicament. I can't sit here and tell you that I'm giving up because of my predicament. I can't sit here and tell you that I'm mad at the world because of my predicament. In fact, a lot of people are shocked. Mika, I'm facing 19 life sentences, but I walk around smiling every day. I walk around happy every day. I wrote, uh, I got my first book out since I've been here. And I was in the hole the first two years, dealing with the administration and, and, and the police. And, but the things that brought me here, could you imagine being four years old and you're happy when your uncle, because he's a king fan of the city, and he busts people's heads in the room next door to you. You're happy to hear that because tomorrow morning he's going to pay you and your cousins to come clean the blood off the walls. This was the house I was I was raised in. We were nice. One minute remaining. Yeah, so it's like small, but it's something if you really look at it, it's deep to understand that we were happy that somebody else was getting beat up in hurry because the next morning our uncle was going to pay us to clean all the blood off the walls. At least we knew we were going to eat that day. We grew up fighting for our food, fighting each other. But don't don't touch one of us because we're all going to attack you. Like real, if you look at animals, it's a real pack mentality. The pack fights amongst each other all the time. But you better not mess with my more member of the pack. The pack kept its own secrets. Like I mentioned earlier, I grew up abused. I was mentally, physically, and sexually abused growing up. And you don't share that with people. You don't even really want too many members of the pack doing that because it's a vulnerability. You don't want to be vulnerable. I was the smallest in the family. <laughs> Ironically, now I'm, I'm one of the biggest. I'm six foot two, I'm 305 pounds of muscle. And when people see me today, I'm Wesley Snipes passenger 57 black. I'm, I'm dark. I'm Akon Singalese black, you know? <laughs> so they see a big, a big black person that dark, they're like, Lord Jesus, get out the way, he's a monster. But, and it's you know, unfortunate, <laughs> and let me say this, that I don't like that people give negative connotation to dark skin because black is beautiful. And I just wanted to say that because hopefully I have listeners that are all ethnicities, you know, and some of them mm-hmm. may hold these beliefs that... Well, see, I believe, I believe it comes from society. Since, since the day, the end of, just the beginning of times, we were taught white is right. White is nice, is pure, is pure snow, is angelic, is, you know, and black or dark was bad. And that's just how society has been, so it's conditioned our brain that way. But that's not where I was going with it. I was going, 
that when people see me, the first thing they think of is stereotypes or the stereotypical person that they, they will, will want me to be. For sure. The big, dark, scary person. But they don't see that little kid that many a nights have to cry itself to sleep because of the pain that he was enduring. Or that's where I was going with it because, as I said, I don't run from my childhood, but my childhood was a childhood that no child should ever experience. I knew what a dolphin was before I knew what uh, multiplication was. You know, I knew about guns before I knew division. It, it was just the upbringing. And then it's ironic, right? Because, or, or it's sad, I should say, because the same uncle that was a kingpin gets fed up and tired of bringing new stuff in the house. And my uncle and auntie says, smokers running out and selling it, right? That he just stops giving to the house, not realizing the fact that it's happened or the effect that it's happening on us. He no longer buys groceries. He's not thinking that we're starving, not his brothers and sisters. So I related a lot to the pack syndrome, metaphorically speaking of the animals, because the way that we're raised too often in the hood or in the ghetto relates specifically and closely to a pack of wolves or a pack of hyenas. At least that's just my belief. I think it's a lot of people's belief. Yeah, it's the the crab in a bucket syndrome. We fight, we fight to climb to the top, constantly stepping on each other. Crabs in a barrel. So it's sad, but until we start, until we start taking ownership and responsibility for the negative, the negative vibes and energy that we've thrown out into the world, that we've given into the world, it won't start to change. Because I've been through all this, I've been through that, but the key word is that it's been through it. I got through it. I survived through it. So if I keep dwelling on it and letting it affect my life, it's only I that's giving power to it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay, so if I no longer give power to it, it don't exist. I give power to the positive. You know, I can look at I am a very strong person. <laughs> Physically and mentally. Emotionally, uh, emotionally, I may be a little weak. You know, I mean, need still some growth and some strength. But you got to look at the positive in it, Mika. Life is beautiful. Life is good. It is. And I'm glad that you're able to be strong in the midst of your circumstance. Thank you. Thank you. For sure. Um, The the flip side is not even entertainable. Remember I told you about integrity and responsibility a second ago, right? Well, integrity, even if you're innocent, if you look at every step, look at the replay step by step like a football play, you're going to find out where you went wrong. Rather, it's you was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Or rather, you trust the wrong person that you shouldn't have trusted. Rather, you gave up. You know what I mean? Somewhere along the lines, you could find out where you went wrong. And that's what I did. I found out where I went wrong, and it allows me to accept my responsibility in this. I may be innocent, but I put myself in this position. Getting angry is not going to get me up out of here. Being mad at the world or down on myself is not going to get me up out of here. Only accepting that I made a mistake or two mistakes or whatever it is the person made and figuring yourself up out of it. But there's an old saying, if man can make it, man can escape. If man can make it, man can break it. And the only mean you is you can get yourself out of any situation if you if you think yourself through it. Powerful. What would be your best advice give listeners who may be in a situation either similar to the situation you're in or in general, you made a mistake you're in the midst of dealing with that mistake. Like, what advice do you offer people to stay strong, to be strong? I mean, you've given examples with your life, but what would be some concrete advice? If I have to pick just one, right, I'm going to say criticism. Criticism. We criticize self and others a whole lot, and you can't dwell on it. 
if you made a mistake, you made it. Don't dwell on the mistake you made. If somebody wrongs you, they wronged you. You can't dwell on it. Because dwelling on things and harping on things just allows them to fester in your life and to grow like a cancer and move from one part of your life to another part of your life and then continue to grow and move into another. You have to take it, okay, this happened. You know, I was wrong. This person wronged me. You'll learn that most times the person that wronged you don't even realize they wronged you, right? But they for sure, for sure, are not dwelling on it like you. If you let me borrow $100, uh, Mika, right, two years ago, because I was running low on my rent, and I ain't paid you yet, you can you can believe without a shadow of a doubt, two years later, I'm not remembering that you let me borrow $100 and I didn't pay you. But you were dwelling on it. And you just only hold the strength of your mind. You kind of let it go. We got to let it go because we all make mistakes. And we don't know everyone's story. I use myself for an example, my abuse. I won't go into detail with it. But for years, I couldn't understand. And for years, I was I was judgmental. And for years, I had hatred festering in my life behind it until I started to realize the person that abused me was abused. And the person that abused her was abused. You know what I'm saying? We don't know. You don't know what's in the story, so we can't harp on it. Harping on things is, is the old yin, the yin saying is true. You are what you put in you, you are what you eat. You can manifest things into reality. You can speak things into existence. Your body is your temple, and you have the ability to create things. That's what made us God like. We have the ability to create. Just as He created man, we can create situations and circumstances. And if you constantly speaking on a negative or uh, that no one likes me, no one likes me, or a big one nowadays in our society, I'm too fat, I'm, you're constantly focusing on the negative. You're not about to embrace the, the, the positive. I can get skinny, or, or I love being my size, or today's going to be a beautiful day, or today Tamika is going to allow me to go on her, her segment and talk on her show to let people know how I feel or what I've been through. You got to embrace the positive just like you embrace the hood. You were born in the hood. You couldn't choose. You couldn't get up out of it. You didn't have the money. So you have to embrace it. That's how you embrace the positive. Anything is possible. You just got to make it happen. Because then nobody else won't give it to you. Make it. I'm Definitely 39 years old. <laughs> look, 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 I'm 39 years old. I don't think anybody ever gave me anything. You know, but maybe one or two people. For the most part, you got to make it happen on yourself. You got to. Thank you for that. I think people really need to hear this. I think there's some little boy, young man, hell, older man, you know, that need to hear this. So thank you for, um, you know, being a source of strength for someone, especially while you're in the midst of your storm, you know? Again, thank you for having me, taking the time to let me be on your segment. Thank you for giving me the platform to speak. For the young men out there, I just want to let them know Right? You're never too gangster, never too gangster to ask for help. And never too gangster to speak about stuff. We were taught wrong. We were taught men don't cry, men tough, men are strong, and men don't complain. And we tough and strong and all that. But if you don't talk about it, it builds up and it festers and it turns into animosity, and animosity turns into anger, and anger turns into hatred, and then turns into violence. Violence turns into plenty of years behind bars. <laughs> So just talk to somebody, talking is good. That's something I just learned the past year ago. Talking is good. So let's talk about the book. 
your latest book titled Tears of a Gangster. So okay. tell us a little bit about that book without giving too much away. Tears of a Gangster is a two-part saga, but it's actually it's the story of two of my um, main characters in my first book series, Gorillas in the Bay. Gorillas in the Bay takes place when Tommy T. Rotter and Jason Voorhees come home from prison. And it's their struggle to the top of the dope game. Well, Tears of a Gangster is actually written three years prior to book one of uh, Gorillas in the Bay. And this T. Rada and Jason Voorhees going to prison. It's the Voorhees story. So you can understand the mentality because T. Rada overall, they started this together, but T. Rada was the boss. And Voorhees loved him like a brother. Safety and security was Voorhees' main nag. And it was his main job within the organization. You learn why. You learn what drove him mentally. You learn the things that happened to him as a child that made him the man that he is. It also opens up the door to my own little... Which One minute remaining. My own little thing, Jessica, that separates me from everyone else. Thank you for using I See Solutions. You may begin speaking now. Yeah. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. All Let right, me know when you're ready. We're recording. Okay. So, my own little niche. When I first started shopping my book around, I got tired of hearing publishing houses saying, oh, we only do romance, or we only do urban fiction, or we only do urban lit, or street lit, or we only do this, we only do that. Me, personally, as an African-American man, right, a black man in society, I get tired of only time I hear labels is when it's involved with us. For the rest of the world, it's just a novel. It's a, it's a suspense thriller. It's a horror novel. It's a murder mystery. It's, uh, it's an Agatha Christie, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to us, or it's, it's urban this, it's urban that, or street this, the street that. So, my plan is, to, and I'm telling these publishers that, nah, you can do this, you can do that. I know, man, it's, you can't tell me what I can't do. They're not understanding it. So to make a long story short, my goal is to write a hundred books. Out of a hundred books, right? Urban street, street lit will be the least amount of books I write. Majority of my books will be just normal novels. I will write a hundred books using different pseudonyms so no one will know. You won't be able to start connecting. In the beginning, I'm connecting some of my fans, readers, and supporters can help me market and manage them. But I'll stop. Every last story will be connected. Every single one. For an example, Tears of a Gangster is still Jason Voorhees' story. He's the main character in, or one of the main characters in Gorillas in the Bay. Um, Dirtbag is coming out. And Dirtbag is not, not urban nor hood. It's just a suspense thriller. But he's the child of one, one of the characters in Gorillas in the Bay. I have a romantic thriller coming out, and I have a rom- romance novel coming out. And the characters are related to characters in uh, another book. My goal is to write a hundred books. I don't care. I got I got a couple of westerns in mind. Oh my God! Tell your listeners to get ready for the BBO Club. I don't mean no no disrespect to none of my sisters because it's not. But I saw that title and I'm like I got I, I, I seen it for something else. It's called Bad, and I let your your creativity tell you what the other B's stand for. But the Bad B's Only Club. And I'm telling you, these women are shaking moves in the world. You got Congresswoman. You got Senator. It's almost where it's a secret society that's running around. Like for men, you got the Skulls or the Freemasons or the uh, Illuminati. You never hear nothing about the sisters, though. Okay, I got a group of sisters that's really controlling the world on the under. You know what I mean? And the coronavirus had to play, too. So all of them, they're going to be 
different genres, but they will all be connected. All 100 books will be connected. Wow. And that's, that's my goal. I can't wait to even start reading your books, to be honest. I'm just so busy. I have not. And I have interviewed a lot of authors. So to get through everyone's book by the time that I do these interviews is not possible. But I absolutely can't wait to see your work, to read and just see, you know, how things kind of play out in all your books. That's awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. And then I ask one request. Sure. You must go, whenever you get a chance to read them, and leave me an honest review. All my reviews, I ask people, just give me an honest review. I don't care about nothing else. Okay. So all my reviews are, are authentic. And I draw because even the criticism that I receive from some, it makes my pen stronger. So For give sure. me whatever the, the true review is in your heart. Okay. Definitely. Okay. Well, once again, Dakari, thank you so much for making it happen to do this interview, to be an inspiration and a light to people who need to hear your message. I really, really appreciate you for that. Thank you again for having me. Thank you for your fans and listeners for taking the time out to listen. Right. And I thank God for just giving me this platform. I really do. And I wish you the best success in what you're doing in your endeavor and getting as far as it is that you want to achieve to get. Thank you. Where can people find you? So the book will be, um, your latest book, Tears of a Gangster, will be or is in Amazon, correct? Yes, it's at Amazon and, and Barnes and & Noble. Great. Uh, that's, that's Tears of a Gangster. Gorillas in the Bay, you can find them at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target Online, and Walmart Online. If ever, you know, Amazon is out of stock or one of the other ones, you can get it at Target Online and Walmart Online. And your author name, spell that for us. Is D as in David, E apostrophe K A R I, Dikari. Dikari. And you're on social media. Yes, you can find me at um, on um, Facebook, Dikari Beckham. That's B E C K U M. Shout out to my little cousin Odell Beckham. Shout out. Also, you can find me on Instagram at the author Dikari. And I'm on, I'm on uh, Twitter, but I'm being honest, I can't remember. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can't remember. Don't I'll sleep on Twitter. I'm on the social media. Yeah. Uh-huh. Don't sleep on Twitter. <laughs> Twitter, <laughs> Twitter, listen, listen, Twitter is good business, okay? And yeah, and Twitter gets me in trouble. So that's why, I, you know, I can't remember. Go to mm-hmm. the other ones and they say about Twitter. <laughs> but at least people can find you. So Instagram, Facebook. And then I want to remind everyone again, I'm using a pseudonym, so if you find another author and you think it sounds similar or, or the style is similar, right, you never know. I just might be him. Or I might be her. You never know. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. I'm about to shock the world. Be on the lookout for Katari. That's K-H-A-P-A-R-I. Be on the lookout for Black Pearl. B-L-A-C-K-P-E-A-R-L. Right? Those, those, I will let you guys know about those two names there. But I have pseudonyms, I promise you. I love it. I'm not sure if I caught your Instagram handle the first time you said it. So what was your Instagram handle? The author underscore Dakari. Got it. All right. Dakari's information will be included in the description of this episode. Thank you again, Dakari. It was really nice meeting you. I really appreciate you doing the interview. And thank you. And I wish you the best in everything that you do. Thank you, sister. I appreciate it. Keep going on what you're doing. Thank you to the listeners for listening. All right, and you are listening to Lady T Speak.